And with that, we're going to dive into God's Word together. Make sure that you have your Bibles with you. We'll be opening in a few minutes to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. I love Christmas. And I tell you, I need this Christmas in the year 2020 more than I've needed a Christmas in a long, long time. Wouldn't you agree that we need a great Christmas celebration at the end of this roller coaster year that we've been through? I just love the Christmas season. I think it would do us all so much good to soak it all in this Christmas season, to kind of milk it for all it's worth. I think we should take a walk or drive our car slowly through our neighborhoods and, and take in all the Christmas, Christmas lights and the decorations on the houses around us. Uh, I think we should take some time to watch some of those Christmas classics. Uh, take some time with your family to watch It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street and and even that classic Elf. You know, watch some of these movies that are filled with the joy of the season. Now, fellas, notice I didn't mention Die Hard. And no matter what you claim, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. So you don't need to watch that one necessarily. But enjoy some of these Christmas classics. I encourage you to spend time with your family. Decorate the tree. Uh, shop for those presents to be a blessing to others. And bake Christmas cookies. And by all means, bring some to me because I love Christmas cookies. So enjoy all the wonderful things that this season has to offer. And most importantly, make sure... Don't miss this. Make sure that you keep Christ at the very center of your Christmas celebration. I encourage you between now and Christmas Day to read through the book of Luke because Luke contains some of the most beautiful accounts of Jesus' birth, his childhood, and his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Read through the book of Luke with your family this month. I encourage you to take time to talk to family members and friends about the true reason for the season, Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to join us every Sunday, either online or in person, for our worship services on Sunday leading up to Christmas. It's going to be a great month celebrating the Christ of Christmas together. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a few opportunities we have to be a blessing to others in our church and in our community this Christmas season. So make sure you keep Christ at the center of your Christmas celebration. Well, I hope you'll uh, take out your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm calling today's message, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. I'll start reading in verse 1. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1, it reads, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, 
To us the Son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God bless us as we study and more importantly apply his word to our lives today. Well, this is such a great, great passage. Isaiah was one of the great major prophets of the Old Testament times. He lived about 700 years before Jesus was born, in and around the year 700 B.C. He had a ministry that spanned quite possibly more than 60 years in the southern kingdom of Judah. He ministered at a time long after the ten tribes in the north had seceded from the union. Those ten tribes had refused to follow King David's grandson, King Rehoboam. They had split off from southern Israel. And so there Isaiah was in southern Israel, those two tribes in the south surrounding Jerusalem, and he was ministering for some 60 years. And at the time Isaiah ministered, Assyria was the greatest superpower on earth. The nation of Assyria was a legendary for having their massive army that just obliterated the armies of surrounding countries. Uh, They were also, according to historians, very well known for their cruelty. Their cruelty was legendary. Uh, They would uh, bathe the hillsides of their towns in the blood of their enemies. And they were so vicious, they would hack off the heads of many of their enemies and put them on poles and use them to decorate their cities. And so it was a very violent and and very ruthless nation, this nation of Assyria. And in the year 722 B.C., that Assyrian army swept into northern Israel and conquered those ten northern tribes. Those tribes that had refused to follow King David's grandson 200 years earlier, they were conquered by the nation of Assyria. So as Isaiah ministered in the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, there were only two tribes of Israel left there in Judah. And as he was ministering to them during this time where Assyria was wiping out one nation after another, those people lived at a time in Jerusalem uh, where they were worried and they were, they were stressed and they were scared for their lives. It was a dark time in Judah and their circumstances seemed to be screaming doom and gloom. But God speaks through his prophet Isaiah here in chapter 9. He speaks to his people here in verses 1 and 2. Look at those two verses again. God basically says, despite how bad things appear to be right now, quote, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those were two of the tribes in the north that had been conquered by Assyria. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people in walk, walking in darkness have seen a, a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Do you believe that God is speaking these same words to you and me today. 
Do you believe that God is speaking these words from the first two verses of Isaiah 9 to his followers today? I believe that. I think God's speaking these same words to us. He's basically saying, church, 2020 has been filled with doom and gloom. Think about it. We were told that 2 million plus people would likely die from COVID-19 in the United States. We were told that just about nine months ago. We were told that our economy would never recover. Uh, We were told that we were on the brink of another civil war. Uh, Pundits in the media told us that if one of these two uh, lead presidential candidates uh, was elected to become the next president, uh, that uh, all America's hope would be lost. And we were told by many so-called experts that one in five churches in America would likely close in the next 18 months. Well, 2020 has been filled with doom and gloom. But the Lord speaks to us through his prophet here in Isaiah chapter 9. God speaks to us through his word and he tells us, despite how bad things appear to be right now, nevertheless, one day there will be no more gloom for those who are in darkness. I have humbled my followers in America, but in the future I will honor you. My people walking in darkness will see a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death will see for themselves that light is dawned. Oh, don't we serve an awesome God? Don't we serve an awesome God? God has a plan, a a good plan to prosper us and not to harm us. A plan to give us hope and a future. He has a plan to head off all the doom and gloom. He has a plan to rescue us from our distress. He has a plan to honor his followers. He has a plan to penetrate the darkness of this world with a great light. He has a plan to deliver us from death to life. That's the God whom we serve. And he's an amazing God. It's an amazing thing that God tells his people Israel here in Isaiah 9. And it's an amazing thing what he, he tells us today. And what's most amazing about it is how God will accomplish these great things. Uh, look at verse 6. God's amazing plan rests in the hands of a child. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? His amazing plan rests in the hands of a child. He says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Many would think, oh God, you're going to bring us deliverance. You're bringing us light in our darkness. You're going to bring our doom and gloom to an end. Oh God, are you going to do this through a great army? And God says, no. God, are you going to do this through some sort of, uh, of alliance between nations to bring peace? And God says, no. Are you going to do this through some genius of a political leader to, to usher in this, this wonderful time of utopia? And God once again says, no, I'm going to do all of this through a child. And certainly some of those who received this prophecy in Isaiah's day would have said, a child Seriously, God? A child? And God answers back, absolutely. The blessing is coming through a child. But he won't be any ordinary child. He'll be a very special, one-of-a-kind child born to save the world. 
According to verse 7, this child would reign on King David's throne, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Verse 7 makes it clear that his rule would be eternal. It will be unmatched in all of history by the prosperity and peace that it will usher in. And God the Father will see to it that it is done. That it is accomplished. This promised child would be a king unlike any other king who had ever lived. A lord unlike any other lord who has ever ruled. This coming king would be king of kings and, you know it, lord of lords. There would never in the history of the world be anyone like this coming child. God's word tells us in Isaiah 9 verse 6, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are four beautiful and powerful titles of the soon and coming King, Jesus Christ. Four titles that He will bear. And so our plan this month is to make our way over these three Sundays leading up to Christmas Day by looking at the first three of these four titles for the coming King, Jesus Christ. Today we'll look at Wonderful Counselor. Next Sunday we'll look at Mighty God. That Sunday leading up to Christmas, I think it's the 20th or so, we're going to look at Everlasting Father. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll come together for a very special online service at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve, a beautiful candle lighting service. And we'll focus on that fourth and final title from Isaiah 9-6, Jesus came as our Prince of Peace. And so I hope you'll join us every Sunday this month and on Christmas Eve for that very special service. Well. I hope that sounds like a good plan to you. I'm excited about this month. And this morning, let's dive in to this first title of Jesus. He came as our wonderful counselor. Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor. Now, why is Jesus called our wonderful counselor? What exactly does this mean? Well, let's look at those two words one at a time. Let's start with that word wonderful. Jesus is Wonderful. That's a translation of the word pele, which is the Hebrew word which is defined this way. Pele means a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. That which is separated from the normal cause and course of events. A miracle. A marvel. Something extraordinary. Incomprehensible. Inexplicable. That's what that beautiful word, wonder, means. Wonderful. The same Hebrew word is used by King David in Psalm 139, verse 6. By the way, Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms in the book of Psalms. It's a beautiful psalm. That's the psalm where David talks about how he was knit together in his mother's womb. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. But before he talks about that, in those first six verses, David is explaining how he's blown away by the realization that God knows him inside and out. God hears every thought in his head. God sees every step that he takes. God knows what David is going to say before he even says it. And in amazement, David exclaims in Psalm 139 verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He uses that same Hebrew word, 
Kelah, translated as wonderful. In other words, David says, God, I, I can't wrap my mind around you or your ways. Your power is a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. Your ways are separated from the normal course of events. You are a miracle, a marvel, something extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. That's what he has to say about God when he considers God's ways. It is not explainable. It is beyond human comprehension. And as David says that Excuse me. As David says that of God the Father in Psalm 139, verse 6, Isaiah says it of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Both are in verse 6. Psalm 139, verse 6, God is wonderful. Isaiah 9, verse 6, Jesus Christ is wonderful. The little devotional, Our Daily Bread, I think explains uh, this so well, the, the wonderfulness of Jesus. Our Daily Bread says this, We often have a, a low view of the miraculous, and therefore a limited sense of wonder. Does our sense of wonder go beyond all human explanation? Or have the successes of science and technology robbed us of our ability to worship a God of miracles? Do we honestly believe that the greatest miracles are come from behind victories by our favorite sports team or the latest in technological wizardry or the wonder drug that that calmed our hay fever? All of those can be explained, but a real wonder is something beyond human explanation. The prophet Isaiah declared that the coming Christ would be a wonder. This not only describes what he does, It describes who he is. He himself is the wonder. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ is the wonder. Let that sink into your mind and heart today. I I think the daily bread is correct. We do live in a culture where we have a tendency to water down words and they lose some of their punch. We throw around words like awesome amazing, incredible, and unbelievable, and wonderful, so much that they have lost much of their meaning. The Los Angeles Lakers went from being one of the worst teams in the NBA two years ago to winning the NBA championship just a few months back. Was this a wonder? No. It's explainable in five little words. LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? It's not wonderful. It's not incredible. It's not unbelievable. It's explainable. Uh, Just a, a few months ago, the Major League Baseball team, we know as the Los Angeles Dodgers, didn't choke in the MLB playoffs, did they? They didn't choke in the World Series. Now, they may have choked a couple years ago. They didn't choke this year. And That, too, cannot be described as a wonder. It's explainable in three easy words. Highest salary cap. (laughs) You know that? The Dodgers, except for the Yankees, had more money to work with to stack their team with the best players than any other team in Major League Baseball. And so it's not inexplicable. It's not unexplainable. These things that we might describe as incredible or a wonder are really not incredible or a wonder at all. But 
that can't be said of Jesus. Jesus Christ is truly a wonder. Come from behind victories are not a wonder. The latest Apple Watch or iPhone isn't a wonder. The results of any of the 2020 elections are not a wonder. They can all be explained. They're all within human comprehension, but not Jesus. Jesus Christ is truly a wonder. I really like what gotquestions.org has to say about the wonder of Jesus in answer to the question, what does the wonderful counselor title mean? Here's how Got Questions answers that question. The website answers, Jesus demonstrated his wonderfulness in various ways when he was on the earth. Beginning with his conception in the womb of a virgin, he showed he is the wonderful one in his power to heal. His perfect life and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus taught many wonderful things that are counterintuitive to the human mind. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, Rejoice and be glad in persecution. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Jesus' kind of wonderful is awe-inspiring and superior to any other kind. For he is perfect in every way. To that I say amen. Wow. Jesus is wonderful. Just about everything about Jesus is wonderful. Just about everything about Jesus is a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. His birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven are all completely unique, unparalleled in human history. Jesus is a miracle, a marvel, extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. Jesus Christ himself is a wonder. He is wonderful. Amen? He is wonderful. Well, the second word in Jesus' first kingly title here in Isaiah 9-6 is counselor. It says that Jesus will be called wonderful counselor. Well, counselor is a translation of the Hebrew word yoez, which means to advise, to counsel, to devise, or to purpose. In ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed as a very wise king, Uh, much like King Solomon uh, was known as the wisest king of his day. And so this is a kingly title when he's called counselor. He is a wise king. He is a wise counselor king. But Jesus' counsel is in a category of its own. Uh, Jesus alone is our wonderful counselor. His wisdom and his counsel are a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. His wisdom and his counsel are a miracle, a marvel, extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. Luke 2 offers us the most detailed account of Jesus' birth and and childhood in the Bible. And if you go to Luke chapter 2 and begin in verse 40, you see that Jesus grew and became strong. It says in Luke chapter 2 that he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. When he was 12 years old, it says there in Luke 2, after three days, his parents found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Even at 12 years old, people could see that Jesus was a wonder. His knowledge and his wisdom was second to none. He was truly 
a wonderful counselor. As Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30, thousands more people experienced his wonder. We read in Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35, excuse me, 54 and 55. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. They asked, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? (laughs) The people were blown away. They were truly awestruck by Jesus' teaching and by his miracles. The Apostle Paul summarizes Jesus' wisdom and counsel beautifully in Colossians 2 verse 3. He says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think of that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in our one Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not just wonderful. He is truly the wonderful counselor. Now it's important to know and understand this theology. But it's so important to know that this is not just theology to fill our heads. This is theology to fill our hearts and to fill our lives. This is practical theology. Theology that's meant to be applied to your life and lived out for the glory of God. You see, it's much more important that you embrace this truth about Jesus Christ with your heart. God's word wants us to apply Isaiah 9 verse 6 to our lives today. Jesus came to earth on Christmas morning to be your wonderful counselor. Not just mine, but yours. He came to be your wonderful counselor. Well, what does that mean? Well, what King David says of God the Father in Psalm 139 is equally true of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows when you sit and when you rise He's familiar with all your ways. He hears the thoughts of your head. He knows what's going on uh, in your mind and knows what you're going to say before you ever even say it. Before you were even born, he knew you. He knits you together in your mother's womb and strategized the perfect plan for your life, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you hope and a future. As you love him and carry out his purposes in your life, Jesus Christ is working all things together for good and for God's glory. So try to wrap your mind around these truths that we can glean from Isaiah 9 verse 6, especially that title, Wonderful Counselor. Jesus knows you better than anyone else knows you because he alone created you. Jesus understands you. Better than anyone else, because he alone knows every thought in your mind and every motive in your heart. Jesus cares about you more than anyone else, because his love for you is perfect. Jesus understands the unique circumstances that you're going through, and he understands that collection of people who surround you in your family and circle of friends and at work and at school. He knows all of the circumstances and the people around you inside and out. Because he's the all-knowing son of God. And in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the bottom line is this. If Jesus knows you better than anyone else, and he understands you and the motives of your heart better than anyone else, and Jesus cares about you and loves you more than anyone else, and Jesus understands the circumstances that surround you, and understands your difficulties and your trials and the people around you more than anyone else, then doesn't it stand to reason that when you're going 
going through trials, you should go to Jesus first and foremost? Doesn't it stand to reason that if you need counsel, you should go to the great, wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, first to get that counsel? There's no doubt about it. Jesus Christ is the only wonderful counselor. So he's the first one you and I should be going to with our questions. He's the first one you and I should be going to for advice. He is the first one we should be going to with our problems. He's the first one we should be going to with our depression and with our anxiety and with our fears and with our failures and with our sin. Jesus Christ is my wonderful counselor. And he has come and was born on Christmas morning to be your wonderful counselor as well. So go to him this Christmas season. No question is too hard for him to answer. No problem is too big for him to handle. No family drama is too dramatic for him to deal with. And no soul is too lost for him to save. There is only one wonderful counselor. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, wonderful counselor, we come to you today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being born to save the world. Thank you so much for coming on Christmas. Thank you so much for being a wonder. Your your birth, being born of a virgin, was a wonder. Even before, Lord, you were inside her womb, inside her womb Lord, the, the fact that, that God Almighty became flesh, Lord, it just boggles our minds. That's incomprehensible. We can't wrap our minds around it. Your miracles were amazing and wonderful. The life that you lived, unlike any other person who's ever lived on this planet, you lived a perfect sinless life. That is wonderful. The way that you died was wonderful. The way that you conquered death on Easter morning was wonderful. The way you ascended into heaven, unlike anyone who's ever ascended into heaven, Lord, it was wonderful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our wonderful counselor. We come to you today with our problems. We come to you today with our fears. We come to you today with our anxieties. We come to you today with our circumstances that for some of us are kind of rotten. We come to you as our wonderful counselor and pray, Lord Jesus, that we would trust in you this Christmas to work all things together for good, for your glory. Lord, I pray for anyone who's watching this broadcast right now who has never put you in charge of their lives. I pray that they would come to you right now in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I choose to follow you from this point forward with my life. Come into my life. Be my master and savior from this point forward. And I will follow you until you call me home to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you made that decision for Christ today, oh, I want to just say congratulations for making a decision to accept Jesus Christ. By the way, I've had some allergy issues today, so (laughs) thank you so much for your prayers for me as well. My nose and my eyes are acting up a little bit, but uh, hopefully that Allertech kicks in quickly. If not, Jesus will take care of it. Amen? But if you've made that decision to put Jesus Christ in charge of your life, He asks you to be baptized. 
And so we would love to help you with that today. I want you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their names and phone numbers are going to be on the screen. We want you to reach out by phone or text. Let them know you've made a decision for Christ today and that you want to set up a time to get baptized to let the whole world know you are following Jesus Christ. You are serious about that decision. And we want to pray with you and help you with your first steps in following Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And at this time, those of you who have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we're going to take communion together. So go ahead and grab your bread and your juice. And we're going to end the service by taking communion together and lifting up one's final song of praise. Jesus Christ, on the night that he was arrested, he said, as he gathered around the table with his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take of the bread, reminding us of Jesus' body broken for us. And in the same way, Jesus took the juice or the wine, and he said, this represents the new covenant, sealed in my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Followers of Christ, I encourage you to take a few moments in quiet prayer. Ask God to forgive you for things you may have done this last week that were against his word. Ask that wonderful counselor to guide you into the decisions you need to make in the days to come and to guide you as you follow Jesus, hopefully better than ever before. Lean on that wonderful counselor in prayer as we lift up this final song of the service. God bless you.